Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. A bit of a format change starting today, where this series will be coming to you on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. We'll still keep complementing the continued sports jersey takes from experts with interesting story pertaining to sports jersey history as we researched ourselves. And in this edition, the LA Dodgers uniform and the team name history will go along with the interesting take from my friend Rick Loeza of the Basketball History 101 podcast and Pistol Pete Maravich. Listen in to learn more about sports history along with me from the uniforms and jerseys that the players wore. And it starts in just a moment. My name's Darren Hayes, and I know you've heard me on the Pigskin Dispatch talking about football history for years. Well, now I'm on a new mission, a quest to find sports history in other sports as well as football by learning through the jerseys and the apparel and the gear that the players wore and the franchises supplied their teams. It's an educational trip, and I'm taking you with me day by day, player by player, uniform by uniform, the Sports Jersey Dispatch. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my sporting friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast, and welcome once again to the Pigpen, where we are going to be going back in history so that I can learn on my quest here of the gather some more information of sports history and learn a lot. And I want to take you along for the ride here. So today, I was... Uh, reading something about the Los Angeles Dodgers and that famous Dodger blue. So I wanted to get to the bottom of it. So it's no secret that the Los Angeles Dodgers were the result of the Brooklyn Dodgers packing up shop and migrating west for greener pastures in 1958. What many may not know is that the moniker of the Dodgers was the shortened version of a term in reference to their fans' commute to the ballpark. Yes, in 1896, according to the MLB's website, spectators would have to cross many streetcar tracks in order to get to the stadium to watch games. The team noticed this, and they called themselves the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers, an outdated term for the late 19th century in reference to the Brooklyn Burroughs pedestrians who avoided streetcars in that city where it was so prevalent for public transportation at the time. Eventually, the name was indeed condensed to simply the Dodgers. Now, many of us, including myself, was not aware that this is not the first name of the Brooklyn Ball Club. In 1883, according to legend and archives, they were launched as the Brooklyn Atlantics, which they adopted from an earlier ball club that failed to survive. The franchise itself points to the 1884 season when the nine of that ballpark borough took the field as the Brooklyn Grays because of the color of their uniforms, a gray button down that had the word Brooklyn stitched vertically down the center. And that was pretty common practice back then in the day to adopt the name of your team colors. The MLB's website then states that the name was changed again in 1888 to the Brooklyn Bridegrooms after eight roster members got married that season. 
A post on the LA Dodger Talk website blog says that the bridegroom's playing shirts were photographed with collars on them and laced up the front, ending in what looked like a string tie. In 1891, it morphed again to the Ward's Wonders name, and soon after, John Montgomery Ward took over as the managing partner of the club. With the change of management in 1893, the team had folks then calling them Fouts's Phillies, named in reference to Dave Fouts, tenure at the helm as the managing the Brooklyn Nine. Still then, a few seasons later in the 20th century, the team garnered the moniker of the Brooklyn Superbus. And this has an interesting connection. Ned Hanlon, who took over as the team's field manager, there's a very popular vaudeville act at the same time touring that was called Superba, and it was produced by the Hanlon brothers. Now, Ned Hanlon was not known to be related to the brothers or their stage production, other than name association only. You know, it's just because they had the same last name. Well, it stuck in the press and with the fans everywhere, and the team name was popular as the Superbas for a few years, even though on the books they were still officially the Dodgers. In 1910, the team sported a solid color uni with a vertical button cover flap overlay and had the word Brooklyn displayed neatly sewn on it. The 16-year run of Wilbert Robinson as a club manager that started in 1915 led to the secondary name of the Brooklyn Robins. In years thereafter, the fans of the Dodgers endeared a series of names like the Flock, the Bums, or Dem Bums. These came out of some uh, cartoon images that were produced by the famed artist William Mullen. Of course, if someone outside of the Brooklyn fandom circle would call them bums, it was fighting words. But in-house, it showed the love and support of their followers. In 1916, the uniform shirts of these teams often were solid gray with a grid of pinstripes or plaid design with a large B on the left chest area. During World War I, the B was replaced a very patriotic and appropriate American flag in support of the troops overseas. The name of Dodgers was first sewn on the uniforms of the players in 1933, and the famous Brooklyn B, well, that was moved to the right sleeve to make way for the uh, Brooklyn uh, Dodgers name on the front of it. Many times for road games in coming years, the word Brooklyn was replaced the name Dodgers on the front of the chest of players. And as for the color of Dodger blue, well, that's an interesting story all its own. The reference is not to the particular color the team wore that they might seem, many might seem to believe here, but it was a term that came to be a few decades ago when a former Brooklyn player and LA manager, Tommy Lasorda, once claimed that if somebody cut him, that he bled Dodger blue. That famous quote led to a very famous color being created. In 1989, an azure shade was added to the official color database, and it is this Dodger blue that's plastered all over Dodger Stadium, incorporated into team gear, and on the team memorabilia and fanfare. This is really some great piece of information to have learned, and I'm glad that I got to put this knowledge into my little noggin here because of my quest of learning more about sports history, and I hope it was enlightening to you as well. Now I'd like to have you get educated on my friend uh, Rick Loeza of the Basketball History 101 podcast on Sports History Network and talking about one of his favorite players, Pistol Pete Maravich.
This is Rick Loiza with Basketball History 101. We release a new episode every Tuesday highlighting a story from basketball history. We cover everything from high school, college, and the pros going back to the invention of the game until now. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And one of my favorite jerseys in NBA history belongs to Pistol Pete Maravich when he played for the New Orleans Jazz. Maravich was originally drafted by the Atlanta Hawks and played there for four years before he moved over to the New Orleans Jazz. He actually wore two different uniform numbers for the Jazz. He started out wearing number 44, which was his number with the Hawks, but then switched to number 7 for most of his time there. The Pistol was an incredibly exciting player to watch. He took what Bob Cousy did with the Celtics a decade earlier and took it up to a new level. His behind-the-back passes always got the fans out of their seats. There is a play where he would fake the behind-the-back pass and then bring the ball back out for a simple layup, but the fake caused the defender to move over in anticipation of where the pass was going. But no such luck. That ball was still in Maravich's hands. He was an absolute magician with the basketball, and he could also hit from the outside like few other players in his day. If the three-point line existed during his prime, there is no question in my mind that he would have figured out how to become the Ray Allen of his day. He is the kind of player who would have realized how important it is to get that extra point on his possessions. I mean, I could go on and on about the type of player that Maravich was, but I also want to take some time to talk about the uniform that he wore. The Jazz leadership selected something that was absolutely perfect for where they played. I love it when a uniform reflects the city or region where the team is located, and the Jazz did that perfectly. If you have ever been to New Orleans around Mardi Gras time, then you know that the colors you often see are purple, green, and yellow. And those are the colors of Mardi Gras, therefore those were the colors of the New Orleans Jazz. So that made absolute sense. Also, the fact that they named themselves the Jazz was another nice note to the city where they were in honor of New Orleans, the home of jazz music. When I think of New Orleans, I think of musicians like Wynton Marcellus and the whole Marcellus family for that matter. I also think of Harry Connick Jr. who also grew up in that same musical community. To take that point even further, on their logo, on their jerseys, the J in jazz looks like a quarter note to make the connection with music. But that wasn't enough. They had to take it one step further. The circular part of the quarter note was a basketball. So the logo was a quarter note, a basketball, and the letter J all at the same time. It was an absolutely genius design. And for a good portion of the time that he played there, his jersey did not say Maravich on the back like you would expect. The back of his jersey said Pistol. That was perfect. The guy played his college ball in Louisiana at LSU, where he averaged over 44 points per game for his entire college career. No one else has ever even come close to that in Division I. The Jazz were able to bring him home, so to speak, to help bring in the LSU fan base to Jazz games, and that worked really well. However, the team began to struggle a bit financially and decided that they needed to relocate in order to find stronger revenue streams. Of course, they are now known as the Utah Jazz, and for nearly 15 years after they moved to Utah in 1980, they kept the same basic design and color scheme of the uniform. Now, those uniforms did not reflect Utah at all. It still reflected New Orleans. Now, the current Jazz uniform reflects Utah, which is great for them, but my favorite version of their jersey is the old one from the New Orleans days when Pistol Pete was a star of the team. 
Pistol Pete actually moved with the team to Utah for a half season before the team traded him to the Boston Celtics. He briefly played with Larry Bird and then retired from basketball altogether. But let us never forget that old number seven New Orleans Jazz jersey. This is Rick Loiza with Basketball History 101. Take care and see you soon. Hey, thanks, Rick. That was a great take on uh, Pistol Pete. Love to watch him play. I remember him quite vividly. Great player. And I'd also like to thank uh, some of the people that gave us some help today. Some articles I read, MLB.com had great uh, information that I garnered on uh, the Los Angeles and Brooklyn Dodgers, as well as the post on LA Dodger Talk's website and blog, uh, LADodgerTalk.com. So uh, just some great piece of information there, as well as uh, newspapers.com, honestday.com, it baseball reference, pro football reference, uh, basketball reference, and hockey reference. I'd like to thank all those great sites. Make sure you check them out. They have some great pieces of information here, and you can learn a lot, just like I do each and every day. So until next time, everybody, have a great sports history day. Sorry, but my pitching coach just called timeout. He's coming out to the mound. I think I'm going to get yanked for a reliever. We'll see you back tomorrow for some more great sports history on Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel. Get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.